Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week we have a double portion. Uh, again, we have lots of double portions in the book of Leviticus. This week our portions are Ahare Mot and Kadoshim. Okay, Ahare Mot is after the death, speaking of the death of Nadab and Abihu. And then <clears throat> Kadoshim is holy, or holy ones. And in this case, it's, it's, it's holy, but a plural holy. So... Okay, <clears throat> there's a lot in this, in this double portion. So many topics that we could go into in great detail and would really be a lot of fun, but we can't go through all of them today. The, the main topics are the Day of Atonement, the Death of the Righteous, okay, which is always a fun one to go through, but we're not going through that one today. The Death of the Righteous is a great one because it speaks of how the death of the righteous atones for the sins of the nation. So that's a great understanding for knowing the work of Yeshua and through his sufferings and what he accomplishes. Um, we'll have to do that another year. Or maybe next week, who knows? We'll see what the Lord does, right? But then other topics are holiness. And then another one is the understanding of Acts 15. Okay, so that may sound a little funny, right? Because we're talking about a Torah portion. And I'm saying that one of the key, key things of understanding is being able to understand what's going on in Acts 15. So you may be asking, what are you talking about, right? That's a good question. We're going to get there. But we're not going to go there first. We're going to start with uh, Kedoshim, which is holiness. And so let's first we'll start with um, a reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll probably jump back and forth between many different books today. But here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, the scripture says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Messiah, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All right, so there were a few things that stood out to me in this passage from 1 Peter. One is the statement of, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Another one was speaking about being ransomed from that which was futile by the blood of Yeshua. 
and then obedience to the truth and loving one another from a pure heart. And a couple of these things tie directly into our, our portion of Kedoshim. Okay, particularly the you shall be holy for I am holy and the loving one another from a pure heart. Okay, so we're going to go and we're going to look here in Leviticus 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Now, that's how Kedoshim begins, okay, here in chapter 19. But then Kedoshim concludes at the end of Leviticus 20. In verse, well, the last verse is Leviticus 20, 27, but we're going to read 20, 26. The scripture says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Okay? Now, within this portion, it's called Kedoshim, and it begins with, You shall be holy, for I am holy, and it concludes with, You shall be holy, for I am holy. All right? It's funny because the section that's speaking about holiness is made distinct in the entry from what had come before and saying, you shall be holy, and then all the, these laws of holiness, and then concluding with, you shall be holy. So actually, this portion was made holy. <laughs> so, and the reason why I say that is because when something is holy, it's set apart, it's distinct. So for something to be distinct from something else, you have to have some kind of a boundary, some kind of a barrier that says, hey, here's where one thing ends and one thing begins, and then here's where this thing that was set apart ends and another thing begins. So the portion for Kadoshim is holy. <laughs> so um, now when we think of holiness, you know, what do we think about? Do we think of perfection? Do we think of, you know, perfect purity? Or, you know, there's a lot of different things, especially when you think about there's this call where God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. Well, there can be a tendency to think, oh, my goodness, that's the you shall be perfect because I'm perfect. Right. But it's like, well, what is God really what's he communicating with this aspect of, of holiness? And we may not be able to pin it down exactly, but the idea is that holiness is, is something that is set apart, that is made distinct, that is unique from that which is common. Okay, so you've heard of the holy and the unholy, right? Or you might say, you know, something that's evil. You might be, oh man, that is unholy, right? But unholy doesn't mean evil. Unholy just means not holy. It, <laughs> it, means, it means common, right? So uh, just because something's called unholy doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means it's not the thing set apart. So for instance, the Shabbat, the seventh day, is holy. God made it distinct from all the other days of creation. And so he marked it off as a special day. So the other six days of the week are not evil. They are just common, right? So that's a good way of, of looking at it. And so it's not perfection. It's about being special. It's about being set apart. And what is the Shabbat? It's a day set apart unto God. It's a day on which he rests. And he invites us to come and partake of the messianic or a foretaste of the messianic era when we enter into his rest, right? And so holiness is like, a, it's kind of a state or a condition of a thing. 
And then when it's speaking about a, a people, like a people who have been made holy, they've been made distinct from the rest of the world. And now that they've been made distinct, they now walk in a conduct that is fitting for those who have been made holy. So it's a state of being holy and then acting in accordance with that special set apartness. Okay? Um, which you know ties back to what we read in First uh, Peter, where the very first verse that we read says, therefore preparing your minds for action, right? Getting ready to go and to do that which is good, recognize that you've been called to be holy. And he says, you shall be holy in all your conduct, right? So the holiness is God makes us holy, he sets us apart, and then he says, now go and be holy. And you will be holy for I am holy, okay? So now the, you will be holy because I am holy, you know, we might think of it as a, you better be holy, you know, right? <laughs> well, and, it, and it could be, you know what, I'm going to bring you to holiness as well, right? Because there's, I know in Leviticus uh, 20, verses 7 and 8, the Lord says, sanctify yourselves and be holy, uh, for I am the Lord your God, and I will sanctify you. I'm paraphrasing, I'm, I don't have the exact thing there, but, but he says, sanctify yourselves, and I'm the one who sanctifies you. It's like, well, which one is it? What do, you, what do you mean? It's like, well, it's both. You know, I sanctify you. I'm, I set you apart. Now be holy. Be, walk in accordance with the nature I've given you. And then I'm going to help you along the way. I'm going to bring you as well. So it, it's a partnership of, of holiness and walking with the Lord. There's one other time that I, I saw here in Leviticus where the scripture says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And... Uh, it was back in Leviticus eleven, forty-four through 45. Scripture says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. This is, and actually sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. He's like, I purchased you. I redeemed you. I brought you out. I've set you apart, made you mine. Now sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. Be like me, right? And uh, so that's, uh, that's the idea of holiness. But now what does this holiness look like? You know. So now we need, to, we need to look at some of the passages in between the bookends of Kedoshim, of you shall be holy, for I am holy. Um. Now, in Leviticus 19, we read verses 1 through 4. Um, and I actually don't intend to read it all. But I'll give a few highlights. At the very beginning of chapter 19, verse 1, this scripture says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And then he goes on and gives the commands of what does holiness look like. Now, this is unique because normally in the scriptures, it, it would say the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. But in this case, it says, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel. And so the sages took note of this unique nuance there. And they said there, there's something special about what's about to follow these commands that are given because normally... The Lord would give the, the, uh, the teachings to Moses, and then Moses would convey it to Aaron, and then he would call Nadab and Abihu in, and he would share it with them, 
and then they would share it with the elders, and then they would share it with all the people. Okay, so, so all the people, all the children of Israel wouldn't necessarily always hear all the teachings directly from Moses. They would hear it through, say, the elders or through, through others, but it had been passed down through Moses to them. But in this case, God said, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel. So it's like skip over the, this process, bring everybody together, and you're going to tell everyone at once, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the elders, and all the people of Israel, so they can hear this. And so what they, what they saw with this is that these specific commands of holiness had a, um, had a great, well, all the commands have a great importance, right? But these had a special standing within, like, these are vital to what will distinguish a community as holy in both their actions with God and with each other. And so these are critical. So when you think about Yeshua, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, all of the Torah and prophets hang. So those are the two fundamental commandments that everything else is supported by. All right? So then within what holiness within the community looks like, these kind of become the bedrock or the foundation, right? They don't supplant all the other commands. They just say that these are the ones that this community needs to focus on. And, and uh, specifically, a few of these were highlighted as w within, the, within the list that we'll go through, these are the ones that, that have been uh, highlighted the most. Revering your parents, observing God's Sabbaths, not stealing, using honest weights and measures, not taking revenge, not bearing a grudge, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are considered like the most fundamental within Kadoshim. And then there's many more within this as well. I'll just highlight a few. There's leaving the corners of your field unharvested and leaving the gleanings that, that, you, that uh, you dropped behind or didn't harvest completely, right? That's charity. That's caring for those who are in need and for the stranger. There's uh, no lying, no false oaths, no profaning the name of God. You will uphold justice. You will judge in right righteousness, not showing favor, you know, favoritism or bias. No gossiping. Do not allow character assassination. And you shall not hate your brother in your heart, and you shall reprove and correct your fellow. Right? When, when you listen to this list of commandments, can you find any in there that you, you don't think we should be doing? It's like, wow, you know, these are just, they are, they're foundational, right? This, this is what a godly community would look like, right? So God says, I've set you apart, children of Israel. Now this is how you will, how you will gauge your conduct amongst each other. And then there's some that I left out, um, such a, that had to do with the sacrifices of uh, the uh, a Thanksgiving offering that isn't left over until the third day, right? Even that one, it's like, well, how come that's in the foundational aspects of what a community should look like? Because God says, this is the one that you share with me. You bring this Thanksgiving offering. The priest takes some of it. You take some of it. We're eating it together. Now you want to keep it beyond the borders that I've put for it? Well, now you're violating holiness within my space and your space, right? So 
it's really good uh, information for a community, right? So that's what holiness looks like for the people of God. And of course, there's more to it, right? Um, you know, I, I think it was, yeah, it was Hillel. You know, the, you've, you've heard about the story of the on one foot, where there's the Gentile who wants to, to know everything he needs to know to, to serve God well, and he comes to Shammai and he says, okay, Shammai, teach me everything I need to know about serving God while I stand on one foot. Like, in other words, keep it brief. You know, and Shammai smacks him and drives him off and is like, you can't possibly know everything you need to know in like an elevator ride, you know? Not that they had elevators back then, but you know what I'm talking about. So, and then he goes to Hillel and Hillel says, that which is hateful to you, do not do to another. The rest is all details. Now go and study, right? So it's a lot like what Yeshua said of love, your God, love God and love your neighbor. And then, but when he said that, he didn't say, forget the rest. He said, now go and learn, right? So same thing here. Um, so there's many more beyond Kedoshim, but this is, this is great for knowing what does it look like within a, our special covenant status with God and as a holy people that are set apart as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? Now, as a kingdom of priests and holy nation, a priest, what, what kind of priests, right? And it's a priest to the world. It's a priest to the nations, okay? Um, and this, this actually does fit in, okay, <laughs> with where we're going. But if you think about, well, actually, okay, let's read in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, real briefly. And then we'll, um, we'll come back. Jeremy, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to jump there real quick. Exodus 19, because I think it's way further on. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. And now if you hearken well to me and observe my covenant, you shall be to me the most beloved treasure of all peoples, for mine is the entire world. You shall be to me a kingdom of ministers and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. Okay. So within this, if you hearken to me, if you listen to my voice, and if you observe my and keep my covenant, right, then you'll be the most beloved treasure of all peoples, for mine is the whole world. So the whole world belongs to God. All of mankind belongs to God. They're his. But then within that whole set of people, God says, I'm choosing Israel to be my holy nation to be a nation that is set apart. That doesn't make the rest of the world evil. That makes no, it, it's saying, okay, Israel is holy. The rest are common, but Israel is to be a, a kingdom of priests unto all the other nations so that all the other nations can come into relationship with God to a greater degree than they could have without this holy nation being set apart. Okay? So there's, they've been given a, an evangelistic call, right, as a, as a holy people. Now, so you have the whole world, and then you have Israel, who's set apart, and then you have people who live among Israel. So when, when, when the children of Israel went out of Egypt, they went out with a mixed multitude. So there were both Egyptians, and who knows, maybe some people from surrounding uh, areas as well, but went with the children of Israel into the desert and were walking with them. 
and continued on with them to the promised land. And then even after the days when Israel was established as a nation, there would still be people who would come and live as neighbors among Israel, right? And these people, well, I, I can't say that all of them were really among Israel. <laughs> like, they may have been living close by, but maybe they, they weren't really God-fearers. There was probably a mix, right? Where some, some were uh, from Rome, but they were God-fearers, kind of like the centurion. And then there were others who couldn't care less, right? They were doing their normal Roman things. But, but there were two kinds of foreigners who could be in Israel's midst. Okay, there was the, the Ger Tzedek. So Ger is stranger, okay? Um, and Tzedek is righteous. So a Ger Tzedek is one who had actually become a proselyte and had actually become legally Jewish. Okay, but, but then there's a Ger Toshav, which is a stranger who dwells among Israel. Okay, and the Ger Toshav uh, would be someone who is a God-fearer, but they did not make a conversion to become legally Jewish, okay? So those are the two kinds. And so if you were thinking about this, like if you were to graph it up, which maybe I should have, you got the whole world, right? All the people who are gods, and you got Israel, right? And then you got a little wider band around them that's separate and distinct of this Ger Toshav, who's the stranger that dwells among them. And I say that's separated right around them because they're in close, close proximity, right? And so... Within the scriptures, there are specific commands given for the stranger who dwells among Israel, for the Ger Toshav. Now, within the Torah, okay, within the Torah, there's one Torah that's been given. And within the Torah, God makes distinctions amongst the people of what commands apply to various people. So there's different commands for men than there are for women and vice versa. And then even within Israel, God took the holy nation and said, okay, within the holy nation of, the, of these tribes, I'm going to take one tribe and I'm going to make them holy within the holy nation, the Levites, and they will be ministers unto me and I will be their inheritance. All the other tribes are going to get an inheritance of land, but the Levites will have me as an inheritance. And he said, then within the Levites, I'm going to set apart another holy group. The holy group is the sons of Aaron, the, Ko, the, Ko, the Kohanim, right? The priests. And they will be the ones who will serve as priests to God in the temple, right? So the Levites had a service within the whole temple structure, um, but then the, the sons of Aaron, the priests, actually carried out all of the sacrificial services and all of the, uh, all the activities within the holy place. And then, of course, then within the sons of Aaron, there is yet another degree of holiness, which is the high priest, right? Who specifically today we get to hear all about his entering into the Holy of Holies. He's the only one who gets to enter into the Holy of Holies. And so for each one of these levels of people within Israel and of the stranger who dwells among Israel, there are various commands that apply to them if they are of a certain status or don't apply to them if they're not of that status. So God makes distinctions within the people. And within that, it's not one, be, it's not one being greater than the other. It is a distinction of here is your role, here is 
what I have appointed you to do within the kingdom. Yes. And that's reflected in the structure of the temple as well. Like there's areas and like you get smaller and smaller and smaller. There's the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the men, then the holy place and the holy of holies. That's exactly right. Um, As Heather was saying, that's reflected in the layout of of the Temple Mount because on the Temple Mount, you have an area where it's the court of the Gentiles, and then there's something called the Soreg, or, or Sorek, which is the dividing wall, and only Jews can go past that point. And then there's the court of the women, right, which is, um, which is within the, uh, well, anyway, it's within a, a tighter area. And then just beyond that, right outside of the... Um, Right outside of the altar is the court of the Israelites where those bringing a sacrifice would stand while their offering was being uh, slaughtered. And then, of course, beyond that, that's where the Levites and priests could go. And then the priests only being able to go into the holy place. And then the high priest only being able to go into the holy of holies. So, yeah, absolutely. So there's, so there's distinctions set out in the scripture. Um, And so I want to take a look here in Leviticus 17. We're going to look at a few of these commands that that were given to Israel and to the stranger who dwells among Israel. Leviticus 17, 5 through 14 says, and and right now we've moved out of Kedoshim and we're back in Aharemot. Okay, so (laughs) start at the end and we're back to the beginning. That sounds good. Okay, this is, the, this is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices, that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore, This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and I will cut him off from among, among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is is its blood." Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Okay, so that's one section. So within this, there was the command of no sacrifices apart from the sanctuary. Any sacrifice apart from the sanctuary was seen to be idolatry, was assumed to be idolatry, because it was in the open fields and in the high places where uh, sacrifices would be made to false gods. So God said, you're my holy people, and even those who dwell among you will not, will not partake in that because there should be no sign of any idolatry among you. 
And then the next was, do not consume the blood, right? And then the next thing uh, that was in this portion, or in this section that we just read, was don't eat anything that still has blood in it. Now, there's, that's interesting, right? There's a distinction here between not, eating anything, not consuming blood and then not having things with blood in them. This was referring to the actual process of shechita, which is the slaughtering and the draining of the blood from the animal. Because it was speaking of one who uh, kills a beast, right? So pour out its blood, cover it with earth, and now you may consume it. So there was a process of, of removing the blood. So three things, no idolatry, no consuming blood, and not eating things with blood still remaining in them. Then as we go on, let's go to Leviticus 18, 1 through 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statute, statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Um, now, Leviticus 18 focuses on sexual relations and what is forbidden, what are forbidden unions, okay? So it's, uh, it's making, it's defining, yeah, it's, it's defining what unlawful sexual unions would be. And then in starting in verse 26 of chapter 18, Again, the Lord says, You shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Okay? So God gives these, this list of commands. There are other commands that are given to the Gertoshav as well. We're not going to go into those today. We're going to just stick with these four items. Okay? And we're going to jump over to Acts 15, verses 28 through 29. Now, we're going to read all of Acts 15 uh, here in just a moment. But the big thing of Acts 15 is there's a discussion of what does a Gentile need to do in order to be part of the family of God, to be part of the commonwealth of Israel. And there were some who said, well, they need to become circumcised and keep all the commandments of the Torah. Right? And there were others who said, no, they don't. You know, they, they don't need to because God has poured out his spirit on those who have believed from the nations. And so after deliberation, they came to a conclusion that it was not necessary for a Gentile to become legally Jewish and to then follow all of the commandments with the same kind of requirements as a native-born or a, or a proselyte, one who had made a legal uh, transition to being Jewish. Okay, so here in verse 28, Scripture says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. You will do well. Farewell. Now, if you hear these four things, pay attention to what they are in the order. Stay away from idolatry. Stay away from blood. Stay away from things that still have their blood in them, that haven't been drained properly. 
and stay away from immoral sexual relations. Wow, all four items listed in the same order as they were in Leviticus 17 and 18. So I think these are related to Leviticus 17 and 18, <laughs> right? And uh, so it's, it's interesting because there's been a lot of confusion about why these things through the years. And there's, there still is confusion about it because oftentimes within Christian circles, there's the idea that, well, you know, Yeshua changed the rulings to where the, the religious and the, you know, kind of sacrificial things, they've gone away, but the moral things still stand, right? I don't know if y'all have heard that one before, but that is a common belief. But here, the apostles say, stay away from idolatry. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, that, that, that seems to fit, right? Then stay away from blood. Does that seem moral? Stay away from things strangled. Does that seem moral? You know, and then from the sexual immorality, okay, that seems moral. So it seems like there's a couple of moral things in here, but why did they give two things that seem totally ritual? I mean, if for real, and this is, this is at least 20 years after Yeshua. I think this is, I think it's longer after his resurrection. I think this is around 50, but it may have been 40. So let's, let's call it 20 to 30 years after Yeshua has been resurrected. This debate of what should be happening with the Gentiles is still going on. And, and what is it that they should do? How does their distinction look like within the body of believers? And then clearly the idea of the, the ceremonial law being gone away was beyond the apostles. They didn't, they didn't understand that, right? That's because it wasn't really gone, right? And so they were saying, okay, we're going to look to the Torah for the answers of what should happen with, this, with these Gentiles who are coming to the faith. We're going to look to the Torah, and we're going to look to the evidence of the Spirit, okay? And, and not only are we going to look to the Torah, they also looked to the, the prophets and the writings to make the determination as well. And, you know, I, I, I want pondered on what I should go into uh, today on, on all this. Um, so, I, but, so I will go to something that I wasn't going to go to just for a brief moment, because I'm kind of hitting on the idea that there's been some misunderstanding. And a lot of the misunderstandings do come from the writings of Paul, funny enough, which we'll, we'll talk more about Paul uh, as we go on today. But a lot of the confusion does come from what, what he said at various times. And in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 6, you know, let's, let's say, to 11? Yeah, sure. 6 to 11 says, who also, talking about God, God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, okay, so let's just stop there and then we'll go, go back to this, okay? Because this is something you'll often hear, right? Is, well, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's like, well, what does that mean? That's often thought of, well, the Torah is bad and the Spirit is good. Forget the Torah and just go by the Spirit, however the Spirit leads you, right? Because we have the Spirit. He's going to guide us into all truth. That's what Yeshua said, right? So shouldn't I just be able to set everything else aside and in a silo listen to what the Spirit says to me and then I know what is good and I do it? No, no that's, that's not, the, not the conclusion, right? If we look here at what the apostles did, who had the Spirit upon them, who moved in signs and wonders, what did they do? When the question came, 
Sure, they prayed, they fasted, and they read the scriptures. They went to the Torah and says, what has God revealed in his scriptures? And then what has he testified through the Spirit? And then what do we ultimately conclude through this, right? So the letter killing and the Spirit gives life. This is not the Torah is bad and the Spirit is good. This is that the Torah could never give life, give eternal life to people, okay? But God through the Spirit the same spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead will raise us up and give us life. The spirit gives life. The, the, the Torah, which reveals sin, says that there is a law that when you sin, you will die. Therefore, the letter kills, right? Because it, it says this is sin and now you violate it and you die. The letter kills, okay? But the Torah is good and perfect. The Torah is spiritual. It's also what Paul says in Romans. It's like, oh, can Paul say it kills? And how can he say it's perfect? You know, anyway, it's, it's about we have to understand in full context of what he's saying. And the verse that follows, listen to this. Right after he says, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the spirit fail to even be or fail to be even more with glory. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Now, again, this is a little confusing, right? Because if we read this, this sounds bad. If the ministry of death, right? And the ministry of condemnation, you know, it's like, oh, well, that sounds really bad. That sounds really bad. But he's, he says it has glory, so much glory that Moses had to hide his face. See, Paul's confusing, right? He was not saying, he was saying that, yeah, the, the, the wages of sin is death. And yet even that which revealed what is right and what is sin had such glory. How much more will this life we have by the Spirit that goes to eternal life through grace and mercy extended to us, how much more glory does it have? If the former doesn't have glory, it doesn't do much good to say, well, if that thing has glory, how much more was this one? It's like, well, if that's trashed, it doesn't take much to be better than it, you know? <laughs> so anyway, the tour is good. <laughs> but, but okay, so where was I going with this? I guess I was just going back to one of the things of there's confusion at times of what Paul's saying where we can take his words and be like, oh, that sounds bad, 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 bad. Oh, but this is good. It's like, no, no, this was, he's explaining the futility of what the Torah could do versus what life through Yeshua can do because the Torah was never intended to give us eternal life. It was, in, 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 it was to give us a revelation of God such that we might walk in his ways, that we might become more and more like him and such that Yeshua could come and complete the work within it, giving us eternal life and then still say, I've given you eternal life now, go and do what the Torah says. Because those who keep the testimony of Yeshua and keep his commands, those are the people of God. Okay? So, all right. So let's jump back uh, to where we were going. And even Peter. I'm sorry. Even okay, Peter. Back to Peter. That's what I was... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, because in the Peter passage, that's, I mentioned that. One of the things was the futility, Right? And, and I thought that was another key part of what the, the message was on that because he said, 
You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Messiah. It's like, well, the feudal ways inherited for your, from your forefathers was not the badness of Torah. It was that they weren't able to do what the precious blood of Yeshua can and has done. Okay. Yeah, so thank you. See, I need help. I need help. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Let's go back here to Acts. And I'll make another distinction on this. There are, there are some who are of the opinion that the, the instructions given in Acts 15 were tying back to the Noahide laws. Um, if you're familiar with the, what the Noahide laws are, after Noah had come off of the ark, the Lord gave several instructions, some which were clear and explicit and some were implicit, derived by the sages. But these are laws that were understood to be for all mankind because they were given to Noah and to his sons from which everyone came forth, right? Because Noah and his sons and, and his wife and uh, daughters-in-law were the only people who came through the flood. So these were instructions for all mankind. And the seven laws were not to worship idols. Okay, well, that ties out with one of these. Um, not to curse or blaspheme God. Not to commit murder, which you could take that to be like, okay, maybe things strangled is murder, right? Um, not to commit adultery or sexual immorality. Okay, there's the fornication issue. Not to steal. Not to eat flesh torn from a living animal. And you might say, well, maybe that's the blood, right? And then to establish courts of justice. Okay, so those are the seven Noahide laws. And there's a few of those that can have understanding within um, with what we've just read. But there are, there are distinctions that make them not one-to-one applicable. Uh, so for example, the ruling about uh, sexual immorality within the Noahide laws is understood to be whatever the standards of the nation are kind of sets what, is, what defines sexual immorality as opposed to the Word of God defining what is sexual immorality as lined out there in Leviticus 18. So they're not the same things. And and when we get down to it, if these are laws for all mankind, yet within the Torah, there are commands given specifically to a stranger who dwells among Israel, right? Who is clearly one who is set apart from just all mankind to some degree because they've associated with the God of Israel. Now they're living among them. They have the Torah gives them requirements by which to live. They're a unique class that goes beyond just all of the world. So if if the apostles were debating and saying, what should the, the Gentile who has believed and has now become part of Israel and a partaker of the covenants, right? If they're saying, well, that person should just live like the rest of the world, they'd be crazy. You know, it'd be, it's, it's wrong, right? Instead, they'd be like, okay, well, what is the standard that the Torah lays out? The Torah lays out that the one who dwells among Israel, who isn't even as close as the one who's been engrafted through the blood of Yeshua, needs to carry out something higher than the Noahide laws, right? So then the one who's engrafted, what should their standard be? Well, it should at least be the standard of the one who dwells among Israel. And so that's where they said, this is what we're going to say, is for those who are coming to into the family by faith, but not through legal conversion to becoming Jewish, they shall live 
Their, their first minimum requirement is to live as the ger toshav, the stranger who dwells among Israel. And then the next verse that is, is said in Acts is, you know, it's, this is good because the Torah of Moses is taught every Shabbat throughout all the nations. So like all, they're all going to hear the Torah and they're going to learn from it. But here's where they need to start. Okay. All right. So let's go. Let's go to Acts. Actually, yeah, let's go to. Actually, I tell you what, let's read Ephesians 2 because I mentioned the whole aspect of being grafted in the commonwealth and being in a closer position to Israel than just a stranger who dwells in their midst. Ephesians 2, 12 to 13 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Right? So the, the one who's been brought near to Messiah has become a part of the commonwealth of Israel and has now become a partaker of the covenant. Right? And that puts them within the realm of the Torah and at a, at a higher status than just a stranger who dwells among. Okay. Okay, so let's go and let's go in depth through Acts 15. This will be fun, I think. <laughs> okay, Acts 15. Starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. Now, let's stay on that slide for a second. Um, okay, so men came from Judea saying that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so why did they choose circumcision as the thing that has to be done in order to be saved, right? That, that becomes a question. And this question actually has implications for the rest of the epistles as well when, within Paul's writings. Because he often talks about circumcision. What is the deal? Why is circumcision the one that is most focused on? Well, it's because it was like the last step in the process of becoming legally Jewish. Okay, so the idea that was being com communicated here was that you must become legally Jewish in order to be saved was what some believers were arguing. And Paul and Barnabas were like, well, they didn't have any small dissension. Apparently, they, they really disagreed, right? They had a large dissension. And they, they disagreed and debated with them until the point they said, okay, you know what? We're not coming to a conclusion. We need to take this to a higher authority, right? And so they said, we need to take this to the elders in Jerusalem and find out what is their ruling. Does a Gentile need to become legally Jewish? or can they remain of the nations? Okay, so let's go on to verse 3. Herefore, being sent on the way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, and to order them to keep the Torah of Moses, okay? So these were not just Pharisees 
These were believers who were Pharisees saying the same thing as the people who had gone out into the nations to say, you must become legally Jewish. And so they began to debate it. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring back to his situation where God called him out to the home of a foreigner. He witnessed to them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they said, where's some water so that we can baptize these people, right? Because clearly the Spirit came upon these people without them becoming legally Jewish, which was outside the framework and understanding of how this should work, right? So he said, okay, you know what God has done and, and evidenced to us by the Spirit, so let's, let's talk about that. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Yeshua, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take, for them, take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Okay, so when they were speaking of that scripture, which actually, not by chance, is today's Haftarah in Amos 9, okay, where, where the scripture is talking about the fallen tent of David being rebuilt, and then speaking of the nations who are called by God's name. They said this is a very important scripture in our determination of should the nations become legally Jewish or should they remain of the nations and be a part of the commonwealth of Israel. And they said, God said, the nations are called by my name. If they all become legally Jewish, how are the nations going to be called by the name of God? So they said, that's a problem. So according to the scriptures, the nations need to stay the nations. Anyway, so, so then so they, they use that as a scriptural backup. There are others, too, that, that we can pull from. I believe it's like Jeremiah 12 and Zechariah 2. That's what God's intent has been from the beginning, that Israel, who is set apart as holy amongst all mankind, for all the earth is his, would be a priest unto them to bring the nations to know the true God of Israel and to become partakers, right? And so, yeah, it's, it's a great... Fulfillment, And so then the scripture goes through the, uh, the four prohibitions that were listed out here. And then in verse 21, for, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So again, it's, here's your starting point. Now, every Shabbat you're going to be hearing the Torah read such that you will begin to learn more and more of what is God's character and nature? What is revealed and what has he called us to walk in? And now we get to move forward and walk in that. Um, yes. And 
Sure. The previous slide, the scripture where it talks about the yoke that we could not bear nor our fathers. Uh-huh. Could you discuss that for a minute? It's so crazy. Omid and I and a friend just discussed all of this last weekend. And we got to that verse and we were kind of like, oh, I don't know what that means exactly. Do you okay. know which verse I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Um, so, so when they were talking about what yoke should we place upon the Gentiles who were coming to the faith, I, I believe that the yoke that they were speaking of was the keeping of all the commandments of Torah as a native-born Israelite. Yeah, a yoke is not a bad thing. Yeah, a, a yoke is not a bad thing. It's often thought of as a bad thing because we think of it being like a burden. But Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm easy and humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So his yoke is his teaching, but his teaching is the Torah. Okay, so there's, there's this thing of when, you come, when a Gentile comes to faith in Yeshua and comes to understand that the Torah is still valid and that there are parts of the Torah that still apply to them, there is a steep learning curve, right? And if you come in on day one and say, I've got to do all this and I have no idea how to do it, then it's like, we're not going to place that upon them because that's going to crush them to where they can't actually walk forward into the faith and grow. Instead, let's say, here's what you need to do in order to keep community well, which is a thing of you're going to, to eat like we do, you're not going to practice idolatry, and you're going to honor uh, God's commands with, with regard to and with with regards to morality. Okay. okay. Start here, and then what you're saying, then you're going to go to Sabbath. Yep. Or synagogue and learn the rest. Yes, every week. Don't put the whole yoke on them right away. Right. They're going to overwhelm them, and then they won't stay. Right. And then as they come every Shabbat, and as they learn, then the Holy Spirit will guide them into. Here's what your next step is. Now, what's your next step in the Torah? Well, it might be different than your next step in the Torah. That's okay. We're all on a journey together. This is a long-term journey, right? Where we're not coming to say, here, let's place a huge heavy yoke such that you can't even bear the burden and you walk away. No. It's let's walk together. Let's strengthen one another. Let's share with each other what we know. And that's what they were saying. They're saying, welcome the Gentiles in. Don't put too big of a burden on them. Let them know this is what we need in order to start to have real community together. And now with that real community together, let's walk. And now you get to come and you get to learn from me. It says, as the, as the community comes together, the yoke becomes lighter because then you have individuals that are there walking along with you and be able to carry that burden with you as an image of Yeshua, right? And yeah. stuff like that. Because we're loving each other and stuff. We're lifting each other up. We're praying for each other. We're encouraging each other. So it becomes easier for us. So at the end of the day. Yeah, that, that's really important. And walking alone, well, it's a lonely journey. It's a hard journey. But walking together, it becomes much easier. And having I've talked about it many times, when after the Jaffe's moved in across the street, the yoke became easier even, right? I mean, we'd already been walking with the Jaffe's for a while, but then when they moved across the street, suddenly it wasn't just us observing these holidays that no one else even has any clue that's going on. It wasn't just us lighting the Shabbat candles. It was us looking across the, the way and waving as someone else is lighting their Shabbat candles, right? And... Uh, you know, and then other families coming in and being part and the community growing, us walking together, there's a strengthening in that. Um, and within it, 
you know, there's great compassion given throughout the community because we're all at different points in the walk, but we're all headed the same direction. And so we get to say, hey, yeah, I've been there or I would like to get there or, you know, and we just, we walk together and we do it in love. We do it in, in grace and kindness. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing. It's interesting that Peter uh, makes that statement, but uh, they, don't con they don't stop practicing the commandments of the Torah. Right. Suddenly, it's, it's looked at as, you know, that was a yoke, it was heavy, it was a burden. So that means you, you must let go of that because now we have been relieved from that yoke by the Spirit. Right. Uh, but we can see that he makes a statement and then he uses yep. the Torah to expand in the rest of his teaching. You know, he uses the Torah to instruct the, the non-Jew or the Gentiles and, and the believers uh, further, right? Like it's yeah. Not right, yeah, it's, it's not a yoke to cast off. It's a yoke to embrace, but to understand the grace and mercy by which we walk underneath that yoke because it's Yeshua's yoke. It just makes me think about, uh, I used to power lift a lot. And one of the things I used to do was uh, do squats, of course, you know, and, you know, you would put that on your shoulder, of course, and you have those weights on you and stuff like that. And it was just difficult at some point in time to get to a certain process. But over practice and practice and practice and stuff like that, and with through coaching and stuff like that, it became lighter and lighter and lighter as well too. And I think it's just one of these things where people just—I don't know if maybe this is the right way to say this—but sometimes it's it's more difficult not to put the work in and stuff like that, and then just and walk away. But when you put the work in and stuff like that, and like what we're doing in here and being in community and doing this stuff, it becomes lighter as well too. I don't know. It just came yeah. to my mind. Yeah, that. it's great. Yeah, the beauty of the community and walking together about this being a journey that we go on and grow over time. The Jew and the Gentile who has faith in Messiah serve together, right, to minister to the nations, to bring more and more into the nations and the understanding. Part of that is the importance of, of why this community, the importance of this community. Right? It's great to have one another, but it's also we're to be a light unto others as well. And we get that opportunity. And in it, we have to walk out what holiness looks like because we're ambassadors of Messiah. So it's like we've been given this nature. We've been given this special calling. And now we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And so we look to the Torah. We look to Yeshua. We are guided by the Spirit, and then we walk in accordance with it. We don't go just go do whatever sounds good in the Spirit. Nadab and Abihu, I think that's what happened. They got caught up in, in the excitement, and their desire was to go in and be in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, and they went in and they were struck down. Well, being in the presence of God is a good thing, right? And they might have thought, well, hey, my Spirit testifies to it. But it's like, but hang on, God has an order by which to come in, which we see in Aharimot this week of what is the order in which one is to come into the Holy of Holies. If you do it outside of God's commandments, it's death. But when you walk within the commandments of God, it's life. And that's what the scripture says, that he who walks by my, by my Torah will live by them. Right? He will live by the commandments. The commandments bring life, and Yeshua brings life. It's the two, right? Yeshua and his word bring life. And so that's, that's how we're to walk. Um, and then 
I'm not going to go into this because of because of time, and I want Richard to be able to say what he's going to say. But, but look. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. All right, I'll, I'll go just a little bit. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm just not going to look over here. <laughs> God have mercy. Okay, so this was just another interesting component of what I wanted to hit on with regards to Paul. Right? Paul's confusing. Even Peter says so. It's scripture. It's in the word, which is true. Paul's confusing. Okay. Okay. It's the gospel. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> in, in, in Acts 21, a lot of this is, is like skipped over or misunderstood or not paid attention to. I don't know what it is. But Paul comes to Jerusalem. This is, this is after many years. Paul is getting close to being going into captivity, right? When this happens, he comes to Jerusalem and he starts telling everybody about what he's doing and they're excited and they say they hear about all that he's doing and in Acts 21, verse 20, it says, and when they heard these things, they began glorifying God and they said to him, you see, brother, how many tens of thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed and they are all zealous for the Torah. Tens of thousands in Jerusalem who believed in Yeshua and are zealous for the Torah this is some 30 years after the resurrection of Yeshua. It's important to, to recognize that because they have not bought into the idea that anything has changed, but that they recognize that it's Yeshua and the Torah. Okay, and so then they said, and they, those people, have been told about you, Paul, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, which is to forsake the Torah, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs which is like the oral Torah, right? What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. This is a Nazarite vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads. That's why it's the Nazarite vow, right? And along with the purification, there's a whole litany of sacrifices, offerings that are made. And so now they're saying, Paul, do this yourself and pay for theirs and all will know that there is nothing to the accusations which they have been told about you that's actually the things i'm calling accusations because we need to highlight that those were accusations against paul which they've been told about you but that you're, you yourself walk orderly keeping the torah so here's paul about to go into captivity and there the elders are saying we know you keep the torah we know that you don't teach against the torah now you go prove it Right? Instead, to refute the accusations. And, and then they said, then they go in and say, concerning the Gentiles who believed, we wrote, giving them these four commands that they should walk by. So, yes. Oh, I'm sorry, that was Acts 21, oh. verses 20 through 25. Okay? And so, so Paul did, in verse 26, he, he does, he takes them, does the purification offerings, all that stuff to affirm that he walks orderly and keeps the Torah, right? But yet we've got this idea that Paul didn't walk by the Torah, that he taught against the Torah. But whenever we have that idea, I say we, talking about the broader Christian community, when they believe that, they join with the accusers who have been refuted according to the scripture about who Paul is and what he taught. So it's important for us to have the whole of scripture, to take it all in context and to 
build our understanding on that because what we're doing in building this community is building up a, a light unto the nations, unto, uh, unto Jews, unto Christians, unto people who don't know the Lord yet, right? And so we need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and we need to walk according to our beliefs such that we walk in holiness as we have been called to be holy. We will be holy for God is holy. Okay, uh, Richard. You were talking about the nations are gods, and then Israel is set apart, and within Israel, the Levites are set apart. So, and then Heather brought up the temple, and that kind of how it gets narrower. In my head, I was thinking of the target, like, like a bullseye, and it's just getting more narrow. And then I thought um, that the Christ is the standard, and sin is missing the mark. And so you've got this kind of narrowing down into this bullseye, and it's all kind of pointing to the Christ. Because the high priest, right, was yeah. the smallest mm -hmm. point. Um, another one was, um, it's so curious to me, it's always been something I've struggled with, with like, oh, the blood covers me, or the blood's done this, and I'm like, what is blood really going to do, right? Um, and then you just went over this verse where it says, for the dividing line, um, the, the blood of Messiah has... Close or destroy the dividing line or, yep. or, or dividing wall, overcome uh -huh. it. Yeah. Right. And I was thinking, why? Here we go again with the blood. And then I'm thinking, oh, he shed his blood. And what's blood? And then immediately, right, the blood is the life. It's and the then life. I was like, so it's not actually the blood. It, it is his life that destroys the division. Yes. It is his life that mm -hmm. brings unity. And yes. it is life that covers us, right? That atones. That is yep. it. And everything started flowing through from all the stuff I know that the blood accomplishes. It is his life mm -hmm. that accomplishes it, right? Yes. And, and it just like, I, I just wanted to, to share that. Um, and then lastly, the, the burden where Peter says, we are not even able to bear it ourselves. I, my understanding is he's saying, in, in our flesh, we cannot accomplish this, Yes. right? Um, and I guess that's, that's the wrong way of going about it. He was saying, so he's comparing Jewish Christians with Gentile Christians. And he's saying, we can't bear it. Why would we put it upon them? And, and I think really what he's saying is, just like what the master said, like, don't, don't swear. Don't make extra oaths because you already have a lot of commands to do. Why would you want to add to that? Why, yeah. you know, just, just keep it simple. Just, I've given you commands. Do those. You don't need to add oaths and promises and because if you break those, guess what? That's sin. So don't even, don't even go that route. Yeah. Right? And I, I think what Peter was saying was, you know, you are the, uh, I'm not familiar with the term, just heard it just now, the, the Geretoshav, okay. right? He's like, mm -hmm. you have, there, there are very specific commandments in the Torah specifically for Geretoshav. So, like, do those. Like, wh why do you want to do even more? Like, that just opens, that opens you up for opportunity of sin opportunities mm. of sin, mm. right? Like, if you circumcise and become a Jew, you're going to be beholden to a lot more. Mm -hmm. So keep it simple. What you have, keep that, yeah. right? There's no need to expand. You don't need to make oaths. You don't need to add to what I've already given you. Yeah. Like, uh, complete what I've already given you before you even start looking to the extras, yeah. <laughs> so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then there's the thing of 
yeah, you can keep coming. Come further. Come into as much of the revelation of God, right? And then with the idea of the, the burden, not taking on this yoke, no adherence to the Torah could have given them eternal life, right? So it's like, why should we say you need to come adhere to all these aspects of Torah to get eternal life when that doesn't even get us there? Instead, freely receive what Yeshua has given you, which is life by faith, and then the covering, you know, the blood, it's through the blood we enter into the presence of God, and the whole kafar with the high priest that talked about it in Ahare Mot. The, one of the things they do, they go into the Holy of Holy, and they have an incense cloud that goes up, and that incense cloud meshes with the cloud of the presence that sits over the mercy seat. And so now you have communion, you have connection. That's the same thing Yeshua bringing us into communion and connection with God. It's his life that gives, brings us into communion and fellowship with God. So it's exciting. So, but we are, we are over time, so let's wrap up with a, a prayer. And, uh, and then we can have further conversations afterwards. How about that? So, um, Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this community that you've given us, this high calling that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, Lord, that we would sanctify ourselves and that you would sanctify us, Lord, that you would help us to walk out this calling in faithfulness and, and in righteousness and holiness and love for one another and love for you, Lord. We bless you. We give you praise and thanks in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.